Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. Everybody, read. If Amen. You may be seated. My subject matter this morning is words, hands, and hearts. Words, hands, and hearts. Um, As we've been studying through the book of James for the last month or so, um, to point out something about James, James is a theologian who is concerned not so much about what we say we believe as much as we do what we say we believe. So for James, our actions say more about the authenticity of our faith than what we actually profess. And so the Christian life, according to James, should be one that reveals a life that has been totally transformed by the message in which we believe. The problem is, in James' era of time, just like now, the Bible did not triumph over culture. Instead, the culture triumphed over the Bible. And so now we live in a culture of people that say things like this. I love Jesus. I just don't do church. Or my personal favorite, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Or my religion or my spirituality is a private matter. It's just between me and God. And so to define these two groups, The spiritual but not religious group hold much looser ideas about God and spiritual practices and religion. They value the freedom to define their own spirituality. They seek autonomy to decide the parameters of how they interact in their relationship with God. A pastor by the name of Kevin Cosby had this to say about this group. Those that say I am spiritual but not religious are really saying I don't believe in community or accountability. And so the group that says I love Jesus but not the church, here's their perspective. They've lost the faith in the church because they find they can they feel they can find God elsewhere or they feel that the church is not personally relevant to them. And so their spirituality is deeply personal with many preferring to keep spiritual matters to themselves. But here's my perspective. What they don't understand is that faith does not survive or thrive in solitude. You cannot do it by yourself. And so by definition, because many of us like to say, I'm not really religious, but I want to challenge your thinking this morning to not put such a negative connotation on being religious, because whether you believe in God or not, if you do yoga or you believe in meditation or you worship the trees, that is a religious form of worship. So by definition, religion really just simply means outward worship. 
And so here's the thing about our Christian faith and why it is a religion and why you should not fret or worry about that or why it should not cause you trepidation. It is this true faith or religion manifests itself publicly. It is not a private matter. And so to us, I get it. In a negative sense, religion is all about rituals and ceremonies that are void of biblical basis and void of real spirituality. Well, I have this to say about those who have a problem with the church, who love Jesus, but they don't do the church. I want to tell you what Jesus said in Matthew 16. He said this. He said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I got news for everybody in culture. The church is not going anywhere. For all of our blemishes, our hangups, our faults, all of the, 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 the outliers that you see on television promoting a false gospel, the church is here to stay and you got to deal with it. You got to deal with it. And so here's what James says. A religion that is pure, that is acceptable, involves our words, our hands and our hearts. And here's what he reduces it down to. It controls the tongue. It looks after widows and orphans in their distress and it remains unpolluted from the world. And so simply put, religion that is pure and undefiled is this. And I want to make it simple for you. It is to keep your tongue in check. Get your hands dirty, helping people in need and to keep yourself clean from the filth of this world. You see, if you remember one of my earlier sermons in chapter in chapter one, verse 19, James alluded to being slow to speak, quick to hear, but being slow to speak. And this is a a theme that is prevalent in James epistle. He's always talking about the tongue and controlling it. And so. Here's what it is. A true test of a man's religion is not on his ability to speak, but rather his ability to bridle and control his tongue. A man's tongue will inevitably reveal what is on the inside of him. Here's the caveat. It'll really reveal what's on the inside of a man or woman when they're put under duress. When they're put under pressure. And so think about some of our reaction when something bad happens or something sudden happens or something doesn't go according to plan or something happens that we don't like or we get cut off in traffic or somebody tries us or somebody says something. I would challenge you to think that the first thing that comes to your mind is say ain't pure and holy. And that's fine. But some of us are such a loose cannon. We say whatever we feel at the moment. But James says that reveals the character of your heart. And here's why some of us can't control our tongues. Here's why some of us have diarrhea of the mouth. Here's why it is difficult to have a filter on your tongue because you don't have a filter on your heart. When you don't have a filter on your heart, you don't have a filter on your tongue. And so here's what it says in Matthew 12, verses 34 through 37 from the Message Bible. He makes it very clear. Dr. Eugene Peterson makes it very clear. Matthew 12, verses 34 through 37 in the Message Bible says this. You have minds like a snake pit. How do you suppose what you say is worth anything when you are so foul minded? It's your heart, not the dictionary. That gives meaning to your words. A good person produces good deeds and words season after season. An evil person is a blight on the orchard. Let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words that you tweet or post on Facebook. Wait a minute. Is that my Bible? Oh, it's going to come back to haunt you. 
There will be a time of reckoning. Hear this. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation. Words can be your damnation. Wow. Look how powerful your words are. You thought your words don't mean anything. But you will have to give an account to every single idle word that comes out of your mouth. So here's a problem. Most of us think that there's just lying or cursing, swearing, making false vows or false promises. But if you scratch beneath the surface, James is really pointing out an uncontrolled, slanderous tongue. An outward religious person oftentimes can avoid filth and lying, but they fall victim to slander. And so this is what happens when your religion, you're reading the Bible, you're participating in worship, you're serving in the local church, your time of prayer, you're fasting, which are all religious practices, which are good things that you should continue doing. But this is what happens when your religious practices don't serve your spirituality well. Your religious practices should serve and supplement your spirituality. And so here's what it is. And a religious person can oftentimes avoid filthy lying, but they fall victim to slander. Let me tell you what slander is. Slander is to defame or to make a scandalous remark or misrepresent someone else's character. And so when somebody says something to you about somebody and maybe you have some information that they're not privy to, that doesn't give you the right to slander somebody's name just because you know something. And so for, for some of us, we can avoid certain stuff, but when it comes to gossip, it's A-OK. I'm not lying. I don't do none of that. I'm clean as a whistle. But if it comes to dragging somebody through the mud, you have no problem doing that. And that's what James is talking about. It's deeper than just cursing and swearing or having a foul mouth, but slander counts towards that as well. Here's what theologian John Calvin had to say about this. A man will steer clear of adultery, of stealing, of drunkenness. In fact, he will be a shining light of outward religious observance and yet will revel in destroying the character of others under the pretext of zeal. But it's really a lust for vilification. It's a lust to tear somebody down. And oftentimes when somebody offends us or makes us mad, we have no problem bad mouthing somebody. But let me give you some age old wisdom. Just because you're offended, just because you hear something, just because you know something does not give you the right to tear somebody down, whether it's true or not. Whether it's true or not. And so we have to grow up and not speak everything that we feel. There's a time and place for everything. But not everything that comes to your crazy mind needs to flow out of your mouth. And we need to have better filters on our heart so it doesn't become germinated. So as as soon as, as duress hits us or stress or pressure or something that we don't like happens, we come flowing out of the mouth with negative stuff about people. And let me say this while I'm at it, because this ain't in my notes. Let me go ahead and get on my soapbox for a minute, because it's been a while since I've been up here. So let me flow freely. Let me just say this. If somebody comes to you with gossip or comes to you with a rumor or comes to you with some sort of scandal or some kind of crazy stuff about a person or situation, be wise enough to know that there's two sides to every story. Be wise enough just because somebody comes to you with it and they seem credible that you need to have the wisdom to weigh a thing, to know that there's always two sides to the story. 
And typically when somebody brings something to you, especially when it's something concerning offense, they're going to paint a negative picture of the person or thing that happened to them. They have no incentive to tell you the truth. So I need you to be mature in your faith and use discernment and also weigh the matter and know that there's another side and another perspective to that story. And unless you hear both sides of that story, you do not reserve the right to make a judgment call. That's called wisdom. And we need to practice that as opposed to running with every rumor that we see or that we hear about. Amen? Amen. But here's what James has to say later in chapter 3 about the tongue. And I want to read this to you in James chapter 3, verses 7 through 10 in the Message Bible. He says this. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue run wild, runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Cursings and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. Let me tell you this. It is unbecoming of a Christian if your tongue praises God one minute and you're cursing people out the next minute. That is unbecoming. And so to perform all of the religious activities that we do, but yet speak as if your mouth has not been sanctified is a deception of a heart and you deceive your own self. So to think that you can't control your tongue, but you love and praise and worship God is deception. That proves that your religion, your faith is absolutely, positively hollow and worthless. It means nothing. There's no truth in it. And it goes a little bit deeper because, you see, James lives in a time where the Christians are poor. And if the Bible was the Bible that we have was written in chronological order, the book of James is actually the oldest book in the New Testament. And it gives us an accurate depiction of the first church. And so these Christians are extremely poor and they've been scattered. And so they are dealing with the rest. They are dealing with pressure because they are being taken advantage of by rich landowners. So they're having some serious problem and problems and many injustices are being done to these Christians. And so here's the thing that James writes to us. That it goes deeper than just filthy language. It goes deeper than just slander. But here's another thing. It also encompasses you seeing somebody in trouble or you see somebody struggling in their life and you wish them well, but you don't do anything about it. Here come the hands. We dealt with the words. Now here comes the hands. And what does it mean when he says a religion that is pure and undefiled? It means one that is unstained, unblemished. And it's not just mere formality, but it also involves acts of mercy, love, and our deeds. Don't just tell me you love me and you want to help me and you're praying for me, but you don't do nothing about it when you have the chance to. Because that's the same thing. So your words, they matter, but they should be followed by action because true religion Real religion, pure religion is visible. You can see it. You can experience it. And James calls it to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. And so why is that important? Because the widows and the orphans in this society were poor and they were defenseless. And so the social conditions in that time, uh, the, the widows and the orphans, they were unprotected and there was no breadwinner to take care of them. There was nobody that was necessarily uh, uh, financially responsible for them. So they needed help. They needed help. And so... Um, These these were people that didn't have fathers, they didn't have husbands, and so who had to fill the role? God himself had to fill that role. And that's why it says in Psalm 68 and 5, he's a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows. And so there's a verse 
in the Old Testament that deals directly with James uh, chapter 1, verse 27. And here's the verse. And so here's what's happening. Isaiah uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 17 in the Message Bible. Isaiah chapter 1, and here's what's going on. Israel was caught up in their religious rituals. And so they were burning sacrifices. They were going to the temple and they were going through the motions with their religion, which is fine. That's fine. You go to church, you participate, you serve. You should be doing all of those wonderful things. But here's the problem. When your religious rituals replace the character and attitude that should coincide with the religious rituals, there should be character and an attitude that coincide with your faith. Your character should match what happens to you on a daily basis as you spend time with God. And so here's what uh, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah had to say to Israel. And this convicted me. And when I read this, I said, you know what? I'm canceling every other meeting at the outpouring for the rest of the year. So if I'm on your calendar and you're on my calendar and we're supposed to have a meeting some point between now and the end of the year, we all the meetings are canceled. I canceled all the meetings. Not really. I didn't really cancel this, but I'm in the moment of my sermon. So I'm not really telling the truth. But just play along with me. I canceled all the means because of this particular scripture right here. Here's what Isaiah the prophet had to say to Israel. Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious religious games, monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, religion, religion while you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I won't be listening. And do you know why I won't be listening to you? Because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. Go home and wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives of clean, clean of evil doing so that I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong. But God doesn't just clean us up and save us and tell us to do right for no purpose at all. He gives us a purpose. And what is that purpose? Learn to do good. Work for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. He cleans us and gives us something to do. And so here's the thing. Being concerned for those down and out is a demonstration of true godliness. There's a pressure that squeezes the world. And we as the church have a responsibility to help people. People have fractured relationships. People are unemployed. People have illnesses. People have family tensions. People have financial hardships. And we as a church have a responsibility to help those people that are in need. And it is a hands-on, a hands-on approach to helping people. And so what was the responsibility of Israel back in the day? This is why our giving is so important. Israel gave a portion of their tithes to the poor. In addition, they were also the poor was also given an opportunity to work because if you were a landowner, they would give you remember the book of Ruth. Some of you may remember the book of Ruth, but in the book of Ruth, Boaz made sure that she was able to glean from the corners of the field. What was he doing? He was making provision for somebody that was poor because Ruth didn't have anything. And so our job is to make sure that the poor have what they need and they have an opportunity to work. Let me say something to your liberal mind this morning for all of our liberal believers in the house. And I'm not saying whether I'm liberal or conservative because most of the times I don't know what I am anyway. But he gave them an opportunity to work, not an opportunity to do nothing and sit down and get a handout. We have a responsibility to take care of people, but we also have a responsibility to make sure that people have an opportunity to go work. If you can get up 
off your do nothing and do something, then you need to take advantage of that opportunity, whether it's pretty or not. You need to work. There is no reason for laziness in the kingdom of God. Laziness is unbiblical. And the church said amen, whether they agree with it or not. Pastor is back with a vengeance this morning. First John chapter three, verses 16 through 18 says this in NLT. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. We are to show the love of Jesus Christ to the world around us by our words and also by our deeds. That is a demonstration of true, sacrificial Christian love. And I thought about this thing. You know, sometimes you read and you study, you get convicted and you should get convicted. And I begin to think about us. And, and there was a time when I was working in a particular location and to get to my house off of I-4, I had to get off on, a, a, on an exit. And on this exit, there were people who were transient or poor or what have you um, that were standing there. And so when you stop at the light, you know they have the sign. They come out to your car, right? You know, if you've, you've seen that before. You've experienced that. And so I would give them some money, whatever, whatever change. If I had some change in my car, give them some money. But it kept happening repeatedly. And I saw the same people on the corner every time and I was thinking yo at what point you gonna stop standing out here you probably could have collected a million dollars by now and so I began to question these people's motives but then this morning oh we all so convicted and and you can't be too prideful in your faith that when you see somebody homeless you question whether their their homelessness is authentic or not and let me tell you why and all I could see and all I could hear in my spirit was Jesus saying, every time I see you, you're just like that person on the corner and I give you money. And you keep asking me for stuff over and over again. And I oftentimes wonder what point will you be able to get off of this same spot and go on and do something else? Ooh. And so the, and so the next time you see that same person in that same spot, you better realize that you that same beggar that's sitting on that same corner and Jesus keeps seeing you in the same spot every day, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, and he's probably wondering, when are you going to get out of that spot and move on to something bigger and better? But the problem is, and the wonderful thing I love about Jesus is, no matter how many times I'm sitting on that same corner, stuck in that same mess, with my hand out, asking him to help me, he never turns aside. eye. He never questions my motives. All he does is reach in his holy pockets and gives me whatever I need. Words, hands, and hearts. Words, hands, and hearts. 
no matter how big your britches get, you better always be thankful and grateful that God shines his mercy on you day after day. No matter how much mess you get in, no matter how long you stay in that mess, God's grace and his mercy never runs out for his children. Never runs out. Never runs out. And so there was this group of Pharisees who was trying Jesus. And Jesus is going through the Gospels, doing what Jesus does, working miracles, healing people, casting out demons, flexing and showing off in front of people. And so these Pharisees was like, we sick and tired of this foolishness. So let's hang him up on some theological questions. And so a group of Pharisees got together one day and they said, hey, which one of y'all want to test him? And so a lawyer in the group stands up and the lawyer says, I got him. I'm going to ask him a question about the law. Which one of these laws is the greatest? And Jesus being a theological a wizard and knowing all things because he's God and he's sovereign and he's been there since the beginning of the time. He says here and here it is. In, in, in Matthew 22 verse 37 he says this and he said to him you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets and so if you don't take any Anything else home about what James chapter 1 verses 26 through 27 is about. It is about this simple primary principle is that pure and undefined religion is summed up in love God and love your neighbor. And here's why we can't love our neighbor. <laughs> because we don't have this relationship right. So when this ain't right, this ain't gonna never be right. And that's what's wrong with the world. They keep looking here for answers. But this doesn't affect change in your life. The only thing that can transform you and give you a different mindset and a different perspective and a different heart is when you get your horizontal, your vertical relationship with God right. When you get the vertical relationship right, you'll get the horizontal relationship right. So the gospel, the good news must be proclaimed in word and deed to the poor. And why does Jesus keep this theme of helping poor people? Because Jesus identified with the poor. He chose himself to experience poverty from the day he was born in Bethlehem to the day that he died in Jerusalem. Now, if me and you are in control and we write our own story, I'm starting off rich. I'm starting off wealthy. I'm making all the money, calling all the shots, got the biggest house and the baddest car. That's what I'm doing. But Jesus ain't like us. God chooses to come into the world born in poor circumstances and conditions. He makes a choice to be marginalized from his birth to his death. And I have to wonder why. He chose to be born in some backwood, obscure, rural country area. And here's what he says when he starts his ministry. He finds the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he says this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And here's the thing. Isaiah. When we read chapter one, 
He tells them to clean up their act. He tells them, get your life together. Get it together. Clean your life up. Get your spiritual life straight. But then he tells them what they need to do. You see, all of us, all of us, those who are believers, Jesus saves us. And here's a problem. He tells us to keep ourselves unstained from the world. That deals with the heart. Here's the heart. Words, hands, and hearts. Here's the heart. He tells us to keep ourselves unstained from the world, right? The world's way of thinking, the value system, the way they do things. It is not necessarily separating ourselves from the world or abandoning the world. It's just not adopting or adapting to their way of thinking. And so we can't allow the world to corrupt us, right? And so we can remain physically in the world. We can eat. We can dress. We can travel. We can do all the things like regular members of society. But we should shun their sinful customs and their godly, their ungodly values, right? And so the problem is for us is that we sell the gospel message short. And we reduce God down to just being a savior, But let me tell you something that I got this week. God didn't just save you from. He saved you for. See, he saved you from your sins and saved you for a reason and for a purpose. And that was for him to use you to affect his kingdom. And everybody in this room has a God-given identity and a God-given purpose and a God-given assignment to work on. But the problem with us is this. We are too stained by the world to realize that we got work to do. So as opposed to doing the work, we sit here working and battling with our carnality and our flesh, and we are fighting the battle with this, and we neglect that God has given us assignment, and so we spend our entire lives distracted dealing with the same old mess. But he saved you from that mess. And when God saved you, he didn't just save you to make you save and you walk around waiting to go to heaven. God saved you because you have work to do. You got a purpose to fulfill. You got a call on your life to fulfill. And how crazy is it for you to neglect that still battling with the same cycle of foolishness? And it is a disrespect to the salvation of God for us to never get on assignment. To spend our whole lives battling with the flesh and going through the same stuff over and over again and not living in purpose. How much more effective could you be and how much more fulfilling could your life be if you just got to work? If you just woke up one morning and said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and enough is enough. I got work to do. But we'd rather just battle the same crap. Male Female, single or married, you got work to do. And I was sitting here on assignment today to tell you to get over yourself and to get over your crap and get to work. Your life is too valuable to be sitting on the sidelines. Your life is too valuable to wonder what the world is doing and be enamored with them. Just enamored the way they do things and the way they talk. And the way they act and the way they behave and didn't have the audacity to bring that crap into the church. And we were talking at dinner the other night. And we were just thinking about the landscape of church and culture. And how every time some 
secular artist gets up on a platform and he says that he's saved or they mention the name of Jesus and we fawn all over him. Oh my God, he's a Christian. I've been waiting my whole life for a rapper or a singer to say that there was a believer. Where they do that at? Are we that desperate that we want affirmation from the world? That we just want one of them to say the name of Jesus? And we don't care what they rap about. We don't care what they say. As long as they get up at the award show and say, I'd like to thank God. And we tweet, oh, he said Jesus. And we Facebook, oh, he said Jesus. I knew he was saved. And then they say some crazy outlandish lyrics and we okay with it just because they said the name of Jesus. And we've been com- we compromised the authenticity and the purity of what we believe for all for worldly approval. We should not be following them. They should be following us. But as a body and as individuals, all we're doing is chasing after the world. And God is sitting there looking at us like, what are you doing? You keep coming to my house and nothing changes about you from week to week. But do you know that the gospel is a transformative message? That he saved you and cleaned you up and gave you a whole new heart and identity for you to be a completely new, regenerated person so that you can live for him. God did not free you. As he said, I came to set the captives free. He did not free you for you to do whatever you want and just manage sin the whole time of your existence. The gospel ain't about sin management. It's about living an abundant life for the one that saved you. Many of us are tired and restless because we spend time battling and carrying weight that he never told us to carry in the first place. So, yes, you are tired because that sin ain't for you to be carrying. That's why you don't have energy. It ain't the preacher's fault. I'm not growing at the church anymore. No, you're not growing because you don't spend time in your word. You can't pray for five minutes without getting distracted. When's the last time you prayed and your phone was off? It's not God's fault. It's not the preacher's fault. It's not the church's fault. If you want real transformation, and you want real spirituality, and you want to know God's purpose and design and his will for your life, then let the word of God transform you. Words, hands, and hearts. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.